0: Hey, folks! Thanks for tuning into the Banff Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lafferty, and here, um, gracing our little dog and pony show with a patina of respectability, is Mr. Dan Abnett, respected British uh, writer of comic books, uh, real books, and just all kinds of great stuff. Dan, so such a pleasure to have you, sir. Uh,
1: very nice to be here again, actually, and real books like that, saving that one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're making me feel bad for my uh, my informal American uh, banter. Um, sci-fi author Richard Fox is here co-hosting today. Good to see you, Richard. Oh,
2: thanks for having me.
0: And frequent co-host, who's been MIA for a long time, Walt, because he's uh, been actually joined the writer game himself. Uh, Walt Rebilliard, good to see you, sir.
3: I have no patina of respectability. Um, <laughs> I only have
0: it when uh, when, when Dan is here. I only right. come on this this show to learn new words like patina. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it goes. And
1: respectability. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> all right, all right. Here's here's our charming intro music. Hang on. Assures yeah, you, excellent. gentle listener, that uh, this is a high-quality, high-production-value podcast. <laughs> bringing, uh, very best farm-to-table, sustainably obtained geeky conversation to your ear holes. Um, so, Dan, you are doing a uh, new miniseries at Marvel for a charming little character. Some folks might have heard of a little under the radar, a Groot. Can you mm. Tell us a little bit about him. He's a tree. <laughs> I had heard that. <laughs> and with uh, yes,
1: uh, well. Um, Groot, obviously member of the guardians of the galaxy is uh, um um is a tree uh marvel has asked me to do a uh a group miniseries, which i've been, been delighted to do uh, presumably to tie into the uh uh the sp- spectacular new movie that is out at the moment um uh and uh, yes yeah, so an opportunity to return to at least one of the members of the uh, of the team that i wrote sort of Oh God! Fifteen plus years ago, uh, I couldn't pass that up really, and it's been great. Um, or Groot. Uh, uh, what can but I say I'm about it? It, it? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's. It, it, I ha- I was given, a, I was given a sort of uh, a, a wish list of things to to, to contain my uh, story within, and one of the things was they wanted to to sort of set it back in the past. Um, during, as it were, his childhood, I think probably to tie into certain themes of, of origins that are in Guardians Three, uh, and that presented a few problems, but I've I've got around them in really, I hope, really interesting ways, and uh, revealed a little bit about uh, his background. It's not an origin story as such, but it's 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 him as a as a sapling uh, and uh, connecting him with uh, with. Uh, um, other characters and and strands from the Marvel universe that I think uh, people will probably enjoy seeing very, very much indeed. Um, uh, Obviously one of the things I couldn't do was connect him in this story to members of the guardians who clearly he hadn't met until the guardians came along. So it was quite, uh, it's quite a fun thing trying to find uh, ways of giving it connectivity and also putting a uh, one or two sort of heroic, physically heroic characters in the story when group was, was very small and obviously not going to be able to do the sort of literally the heavy lifting himself. So there's a kind of retro '60s Star Trek vibe going on in there. There's a the return of a uh, or, or a, 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 as it were a flashback to a character who's long since departed the Marvel Universe. It's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing it.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I, I was really chuffed to see you bringing back uh, the old school Captain Marvel, was a yes. favorite of mine from the old days.
1: Yeah, Captain Marvel obviously is one of the one of the very 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 few characters in uh, the history of comics who has died and stayed dead, uh, and that is. B- Great, as far as I'm concerned, because his, his his death was such an event that it should not it never be undone. In fact, I've actively got out of my way not to undo it over the years, even though I love Jim Starlin's Captain Marvel stories and the, there's a huge temptation uh, 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 to do that. Uh, but because this was set way back in the past, there was an opportunity to see him... Uh, alive and also in in that early phase the green and white costume the sort of um, the 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 original version when he was a member of kree star force and so that's that's uh, we're sort of seeing his formative years as it were his uh, his initial outings as a a member of that sort of his dedication sort of his nobility that will will be so important to him later on Uh, that was fun that was a fun thing to be able to do because the the timelines just just linked up nicely
0: excellent and uh, one of our regular commenters Dr. Fizz is weighing in saying I'm not going to fanboy too hard just thank you Mr. Abnett for the awesome 40k stuff you put on paper well that's very very nice to hear indeed thank you very much So, uh, people wanting to check out Groot um, literally everywhere right now any comic book retailer you go to uh, you can find issue 1 on uh, Comixology I think you can pre-order issue 2 so uh, check it out it's going to be a good time it's a good supplementary reading to that uh, little movie that is playing in a few art houses all (laughs) all across America right now
1: it was very it was it was particularly enjoyable to, to, to be able to look at a character out of context like that and and, and, uh, and play around with it. And I I, I I sense already the reception to it's been very, very positive. We've uh, we we've had we've had some really good feedback. So so yes, I hope people enjoy it very much.
3: oh i'm sorry go ahead mike no please continue i was gonna say um uh do you find a character like this is is a challenge to write because he's you know he's he's got that expansive vocabulary that you really have to deal with (laughs) Uh, i mean uh because it seems like when when i was reading it um you know um you have a lot of background text that that kind of informs what's going on but then uh it seems like for conversational stuff you got the kree star force that's kind of carrying yeah Uh, Yeah, I I, I, I tried
1: to try to make it a feature rather than a bug of the story. Yes. In fact, it is my fault that he only says that really. (laughs) That was was a that was a that was a decision I took during the uh, the the run on on Guardians, which which is the basis of the the movies and everything. Uh, And it was and and it's explained that obviously he's not just saying that it's just that you've got to be able to understand what he's saying. And because this is set a long way in the past and people haven't really encountered his people before. In fact, his world is sort of relatively undiscovered. uh, That poses an even bigger problem. So I decided rather than trying to find ways to circumvent that, I obviously I didn't want it to be a, as it were a silent book where it was it was just things happening and we had to understand what was going on. I didn't want it to be too narrative heavy. So I obviously wanted to put speaking parts into the book so that people can have conversations with him because you understand what he's saying when you hear what people are saying how they're replying and how they're understanding him. But then I thought, well, let's go a stage further and actually have that language barrier being both a difficulty and a mechanism in the story. So so communication is a theme of the story. Uh, Learning how to talk to him, there's a sequence of the first issue where Captain Marvel is trying to learn how to talk to them uh, and and sort of failing badly much to their amusement. Um, That sort of idea of learning to, uh, both learning to speak in a way that can be understood or being brave enough to speak in a way that can be understood is an important learning thing for for group but also the ability to hear the the ability to to as it were really listen to what somebody's saying and realize you've understood them all along which is is another thing so those are not points that i'm you know hammering away at through in the course of the story but translation devices that kind of stuff play an important part in the story
3: i really like the fact that each of the uh, each of the different characters had their own Mechanism for speaking, so like we had Groot, obviously, then Twig and Gleef. <laughs> yes, yes, he's got two friends in this, which is
1: uh, yeah, I, I I quite like that, and and again, it shows a shows a friend. There's a little bit more more of that as you might expect. There's a bit more of that to come as the story progresses in, in, in I hope quite an interesting way. So,
0: so yes, yeah, there we go. Excellent. Now, um as Dr. Fizz alluded, you've also done a fair amount of work in the 40k universe, and I think that's what uh, Mr. Fox wanted to talk to you about. Uh, Richard, can I tag you in.
2: Sure. I- Hi, Dan. I'm a long-time reader. Um, so, the, the End and the Death, the very first of the last two books of the end of the Horace Heresy, it starts with, and I'm, I'm just going to geek out a little bit on just how, how you presented this chapter. It starts with Horace Lupercal having a, a, a flashback, where he's mm-hmm. talking, this is before the heresy, and he's talking to a Remembrancer, and he's talking about how, mu- how much he loves Sanguinius, And everyone's reading this going, uh, yeah, well, okay. (laughs) Uh
1: Uh-oh, foreshadowing.
2: (laughs) And, and, but he goes through the whole, the whole process of having this interview. And then at one point he just sort of pops out of it and realizes he wasn't happy. That was not a flashback. I thought it was a flashback when I was first reading it. No, he was, was, his mind was lost in the warp. And then he kind of just got snapped back into the present. And I was just, and I just had to stop and go, damn it, he's good. (laughs) that kind of uh it's just how you're able to kind of like you know lead the the reader down a certain path and the reader's like yeah this is definitely what's happening and then no and then also the character and the reader both kind of realize that they had the misconception at the exact same time mm. and was, was that just fortuitous were you just writing along like oh this could work or was you <laughs> did you have like a plan of how to
1: do that uh th- first of all thank you for 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 liking that bit the 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 uh the end of the death has been a uh, literally and metaphorically the most massive thing i've ever written it's t- it's taken 2 years it is huge uh every siege of terror book has been a daunting prospect for the writer involved i, I did the previous one Saturnine, which which was at the time was like oh my god i don't know how i can do more than this, and and then they said, "Will you write the last one?" And I thought, "Well, that's appropriate, seeing as I wrote the first one." That's great, knowing that there was a huge weight of expectation, uh, n- just because it's it's the ending, it's got to stick the landing, and also because of the amount of law that I've got to cover in those those and the scale and everything like that. I mean, Warhammer and Horus Heresy is bombastic and operatic anyway, so how do you crank that up to eleven or beyond? You know, I mean, th- there's there were so many logistical things going on in that and one of the re- things i r- realized that one of the ways i could establish scale was to present loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of characters uh and therefore do it in sort of short chapters where we're moving between them so uh, you get this mosaic effect of a, of a bigger and bigger world and i wanted one of them to be horus because just because of the way the continuity uh has worked towards this the siege of terror the continuity that's 30 years old that we're, we're basing everything we do on Horus sort of doesn't play a very active role during the siege for, for for months and months and months he just comes in in a major way at the end and i wanted to reflect that i thought we need screen time with him we need to sort of uh, we need to sort of see what he's thinking and doing more than almost anybody else because this is his big moment um and we also and i'm not going to give spoilers but we also need to explain certain things that are going to be happening later in this book in the course of, and by book i mean the whole thing when you've got the volumes together so it's it's it it, what has been released so far is very much the first part of a larger thing rather than a uh, the first part of a trilogy structurally speaking there is there is plot architecture there that the 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 sort of symmetries of which are not really apparent until you've got the next part um anyway uh so I wanted to do that uh, So skipping between these short chapters, I was playing with different points of view. I put it in the present tense to make the whole book very much more immediate, which is a pain in the arse in itself. But also put it in the present tense um, because I wanted that sense of time collapsing, that everything is happening right now and we're there with it. Uh, Horace is the one person who uh, he has a sort of second person narrative. So everything, we, were to, we he, he, it's kind of like we're in his head, but it's somebody saying you're doing this, you're doing that, which is I feel like one of those slightly distorting lenses. There's an uneasy dreamlike state to it. It's like, what's really going on? It's like, are you really is this really happening? Once I was in there, that sequence uh, of dislocation and and sort of false memory and and being displaced, mentally displaced was a very important um Factor, And actually, we'll have a bigger payoff later on. There there are reasons for that you'll see later. But I wanted to show people where he was coming from uh, and also show him where he was coming from so that we can make that contrast. It it was almost like that and several other bits in the book are reminders of of where we were back in Horus Rising. So we feel it again and we can see it again and go, oh, gosh, that's that's where it is. There is there is I, I wanted us to see that change. And, and who better to reflect that change than him himself? So yes, it was a trick I was deliberately trying to do. Uh, exactly how it's pulled off, it is. It's, that was just on the page. I mean, I, I thought, I'm, I'm going to write essentially a flashback where we think we're in one place and then we're going to come out of it and move into the other. And it just happened. And I think it happens in um, in a kind of, very fluid, uneasy way that it suddenly happened and you realise afterwards what, what it's done. I can't explain how that happened. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, it is one of those moments. Uh, obviously, the, the chapter previous to that, uh, the main chapter previous to that, is the uh, uh, is Malkador doing a similar thing about the Emperor. We're not going to put the Emperor front and centre because he is essentially unknowable. But those were sort of balancing things. You get to the Malkador talking about the Emperor and how the Emperor's thought about things as about as close as you're going to get. And I thought, well, okay, with Horus, we can actually go to Horus. So you get the two sides. Uh, but then also have that have that sort of uh, unreliable narrator thing where even Horus isn't quite sure of literally what day it is and what he's supposed to be doing. And that is the thing that, that plays out there. So quite often, like I said, most of it's third person, third person present tense. There is Malkador's first person, Horus's second person, and a couple of other... Sneaky things I do with with uh, with the individual styles of different chapters, where I deliberately muck around with the vantage point and therefore the way it's written, uh, and and also shift vocabulary. So, so depending on what strand of the book I'm in, for instance, when we go to the the Dark Angels uh, defending and uh, the Astronomicon, I deliberately lose all the contractions and I deliberately play up on sort of uh, uh, an older vocabulary, more archaic vocabulary, to make it feel like chivalric knights. Excalibur, the Round Table, that kind of stuff, which suits the Dark Angels. When I shift to say John grammaticus and the the Long Companions, who are sort of the most modern of the characters in the book, they're the most like us. Everything's contractions. There are there. It's kind of a more modern type of dialogue, so that you you get these. So not only are there lots and lots of pieces in the book, the, all these this mosaic adding together, but each of those pieces has got a very different. So more like M&Ms than, no, don't go there. But do you know what I mean? Each bit's got its own little flavour, distinctive flavour. Oh, this is, is flavoured like that, this is flavoured like that. So that, that, was, that, was the, uh, that was the sort of intent. I am glad that that bit pleased you. And I'm sorry that my explanation for it was far too long. <laughs> but,
2: but speaking of structure, there's a part where uh, the companions are looking around in a library, and I won't see, you go into deep. but they find something that directly leaks to something that was in uh, Pariah yes um, and i saw that and i was going where is this hold on <laughs> where is this going and i'm just curious like okay what's going to come out next the final horace heresy book or the final book of beckwin's trilogy the 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 the,
1: the end and the death will be published by the time we return to beckwin just for for, for the for the sake of uh, Common sense and sanity. Uh, there are a lot, actually lots of things like that. There are some that are, are what might be deliberately called Easter eggs, because it's such a pivotal moment in, in the entire universe. The idea that it's it's that there, there's nothing forced about the way the fact that you can sort of touch on almost anything, because everything comes back to this moment, this conflict. It's 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 sort of intergalactic in scale. It's certainly the whole solar system. It's it's the pivotal point in the history of mankind. So there's loads of touches with that many characters. You can reach out and, and just make reference to sorts of things, and people go, oh, yo that's interesting, or intrigued by it. But some of them are. I I, I um I've done um uh, a a sort of annotated version of the first Eisenhorn book, Zenos which came out last year, I think, where I basically went through and talked, to get, sort of put footnotes in about how it had come to be, which was a, a weird exercise, but apparently people have really liked because the book's done very very well. I hope at some point they'll let me do that for the end of the death, because I think there's even more there than people realize because almost every sentence I was writing going oh that's an echo oh there's a link there or I'm not gonna I don't want to belabor it some are very obvious because they're kind of like classic refrains of Warhammer some of them are sort of buried references and sidelong things but but they're all there there's sort of that you can go back over it and go oh I didn't notice that I didn't notice that at all so 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 yeah I, I, I don't expect anybody to get them all uh but it's lovely when people get them and when they get them and they're pleased because they've seen seen that connection there or whatever i think it's uh, it, it's very nice there was just the most ridiculous amount of um uh research went into it because i didn't want to as it would get anything wrong. I didn't want, but there was going to be so much scrutiny. I didn't want people to go, oh, he's forgotten that, or he did that, or you know, oh, that's not right because of that. So they they are very deliberate choices. In some instances, the uh, the continuity of the the Horus Heresy uh, is like any great myth or legend is is kind of um, contradictory because there are different versions of it because it has evolved over the years, and we know that it's a, it's a, a, a sort of handed down legend in the uh, universe. So uh, I like the idea, the, the, there was this intriguing idea that when it came down to me, I had to choose which version I was going to actually show and say, this is the truth, even though the legend then says something different, or this is the unexpected reality that led to the legend that people 10,000 years later are talking about. And that goes goes to Horus, to the Emperor, uh, certainly to Sanguinius, and some of the other big events that all happen. Uh, and just getting those events, those big events in the right order, um, because it's it's previously been color text, trying to make that into a novel where one thing leads to another and we understand what's going on. That that was uh, that was quite a challenge, too. So uh, I have to say it was the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the biggest thing I've ever done. Uh, despite all those things, and the fact that I sort of staggered from the end of it, feeling shell shocked. It was also the most satisfying thing I've ever worked on. And I, when I when I finally finished it, I went, oh, Oh, it's over. I've got a, you know, so I think that's that's a, that's a very, um, I think that's always a very good sign because usually when I finish, it doesn't matter how happy I am with a book when I finish it and I send it off to the editor, I go, "Thank God, that is a burden lifted. I've got that. I'm proud of it." But I'm, I, I've had enough by that stage and I'm glad that I finished it and delivered it and it's complete. And I can free my mind to think about something else. With this, it was, it was there was a yearning almost as soon as I wrote the last few words, that there was no more part of, no more of this story to tell, which is uh, I think quite a, when the, the author doesn't want to leave the, uh, uh, the storyline, I think that's quite a, an encouraging sign for the reader.
2: Well, I, I really have to congratulate and, and thank you and the entire Black Library staff because the Horace Heresy, has been exceptionally well done all the way through, Thank and you. It, it's for and it's amazing is how it's a prequel and I normally don't like prequels because prequels tend not to have any kind of inherent uh, attention to them because you know how it ends. Yeah. However, with the, the way you very the way you and Black Library started the the whole thing with I was there the day Horace slew the Emperor and I apologize
1: for not saying
2: that correctly yeah. and then all the, I read that I'm like I'm here for the whole time.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was line, like
1: I'm in. I think, I think the thing is that the Horus Heresy is, is, has been you know, it's been a core part of the background lore since the game was invented, essentially. Uh, and, and it's something that we do think we know because there have been clear pieces of brilliant colour text over the years in some of the rule books explaining what happened. Some quite extensive pieces. Um, and it's, it's a story we feel we all know because every single chapter, every single Primark relates back to that moment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when they suggested I, th- I think you've got to understand the sort of naivety our naivety back when they said, do you know what? Maybe Black Library is doing pretty well. They write some pretty good novels. Maybe we should let them have a go at writing the Horus Heresy in novel form. And we thought, oh gosh, that could be as many as 12 novels, you know. Uh, and and also the naivety of us creatively coming together and going, uh, at, as a comic book writer, I'm, wo- I'm used to working as part of a team because it is a team sport. I'm used to collaborating with the, the artists and the letter and everything else like that. But novelists as I'm sure you know, are solitary and dangerous individuals who should not be let out in public society. The idea that we, we you could get sort of six or seven of them round a table and they wouldn't just fight uh, was, was, was something we didn't know. Um, the fact that we created this sort of um, writer's room that is essentially lasted ever since it lasted all the way through the horse heresy and through the, the siege of terror the, the, you know the membership has changed over the years, but essentially it is retained that and the the kind of democratic enthusiasm with which we've shared and um, brainstormed ideas. Uh, Quite often, we've ended up not writing the good idea that was our good idea. Somebody else has done that and we've done something else, you know, it's come back. So there was a sort of generosity of spirit because we wanted it to work really well. But even when the first book came out, the first books were coming out, we didn't know it was going to work. We didn't know it was going to be any kind of success. We hoped people would be interested in reading it. The fact that it was this huge thing and then allowed us to sort of spend more time expanding showing the backgrounds of Legions, really get doing some expansive work on, on, on the background. I think that's probably where we, got, we we kind of got around that everybody knows how it's going to end fact, because they, they didn't realise there was going to be so much detail, so much more to it as we went along. And also in some of the big moments, we found a different way of showing it. So it's not like we've changed the continuity, but we've, we've maybe put a new wrinkle on it or shown something else that was happening at the same time that we didn't realise that throws it into a new light, that sort of thing. There's a huge amount of thinking gone into that um and uh yeah it's 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 been a an extraordinary ride it's, it's obviously it's ended up being much bigger than we ever thought it would be uh and it is weird for me as being one of the sort of veterans from the, the first days to get to the end and realize we were actually get, we were actually sitting down to plan and execute novels that we had been thinking about so long ago and thought oh yeah we'll get there eventually and here we actually were doing it so that that was that's a kind of weird a weird feeling um and i hope we've done justice to the uh, the end and that was really was my uh, biggest concern that we do justice and the last book does justice to that kind of investment of enthusiasm because there are let's face it too many examples in the world of things that have been great and then have have, have not ended well and 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 there is a sort of um there is a sort of taint that then runs backwards through the things that you've enjoyed and you feel you can't enjoy them quite so much because you know it's going to end badly. And I just wanted, I didn't want it to be that, which is why it got uh, uh, such a high degree of, uh, of effort.
3: Anyway. (laughs) now do you know have you noticed any crossover like like because people really enjoy your writing on one thing they will follow you to another like for example those who like your work on 40k would they for instance cross over to Groot because they enjoy your writing uh
1: yes I am I'm delighted to say that does now happen uh um it didn't used to when I when I I started off and we're going back a few years now but when I started off my writing career obviously I was uh, I was a comic book writer to begin with. Uh, I wanted to write, uh, what did you call them? Real books? I, uh, yeah, I wanted to write, <laughs> write re- real books as well. Um, but it was a, it was a case of, it, it was my job. So it's like I took the work that was there and the work that was there tended to be comic book work because working on one comic bred work on another. Uh, and, then I, and then it was actually Black Library gave me my first opportunity to write uh, novels commercially, which was terrific. And along the line, somewhere, I've also started being being a game writer and writing writing games as well, which is a sort of less visible part of my job, which was a whole new thing. But um, uh, I found in the early days, I would go to conventions, and my um, essentially readership—people who were coming to see me to get books signed, for instance—would be very specifically of one. Camp or another. So they'd be Marvel readers. I love your work on Marvel, and I'd love, or I, I love the stuff you do for 2000 AD, or your Warhammer work, or, you know, the Doctor Who stuff, or something like that. And there was very little crossover between those things. And sometimes I'd almost, uh, I find myself having to sort of act as a translator between one group and another because they liked my work, but they they weren't aware. And in fact, on many occasions, uh, i found people who were genuinely surprised that that the Dan Abnett who d- writes for Marvel is the same Dan Abnett. They thought there were two different guys who happened to be called that, and that's a weird experience. Uh, and <laughs> I'd I, I, part of me likes to think that actually nowadays people know me for my work and are and go, oh, you also did that, and I'm a fan of this, but I'm also a fan of that, and you know, the sort of they have that sort of. Um, much greater breadth of of, uh, awareness and enthusiasm for that. I'd like to think that's because people have been following my career and they like my work. So therefore they'll go looking for it wherever it is. But I also think it's got much more to do with the sort of the way the zeitgeist has changed in the last, dare I say it, 20 years, where uh, we've seen the kind of the triumph of, of, should I got the triumph of the genre, but the idea that the genre is now something where you don't have to be ashamed of liking science fiction or comics or horror or fantasy or whatever it is. Like You can actually be very proud of that. You can be, you can, you can be enthusiastic. You can share that enthusiasm. And therefore you can cross pollinate the universes that you're enthusiastic about without any sense of be, having to be sort of demarcated as a particular fan. It's no longer you, you are a Doctor Who fan and nothing else, or you are a Marvel fan and nothing else, and you can't possibly like something else because you're not allowed to because there's there's too much of that kind of stuff. I, lo- I, I, love, I love that fact that the, 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 the people, people will follow storylines, follow characters, but also follow creators that they like from one thing to another, um i think if i'd stayed in in any one particular lane if i'd just written for marvel or if i'd just written for warhammer i know i've written a lot for warhammer but you know what i mean i think i myself would have gone oh god i'd love to do something else for a change one of the reasons that i still have the energy and enthusiasm these days to write these things is because i get to i get to travel between universes you know as part of my day job which is which keeps everything very very fresh indeed but yes they they do now they do now know me for for more than one thing which is um Good. I'm, I'm known. I am known as the prolific Dan Abnett, which is sounds like sounds like a compliment, and I'm not so sure. But anyway.
0: Well, here you're known as Dan Abnett, who also writes real books. So <laughs> yeah. much better. Yeah. I'll yeah. have I mean, that on
3: my business card. I mean, I followed you. Uh, uh, I followed you from um, uh, what was I reading at the time? I can't remember what it is at the time, but I remember thinking because I'm I wasn't really a, a DC Comics fan. And you went and started writing Aquaman, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm like, oh, let me give it an issue, and I'm like, okay, this was kind of cool. I'll give it another issue, and then and, you know, I would go into the shop, and they're like, hey, man, um, you need this, and they'd slide over you know another <laughs> one of your issues, and I'd be like, I'd be like, yeah, man, just slide it into the bag, slide it into the bag, it's fine. <laughs> so yeah, I, I really appreciate that.
1: When I well, thank you. When I when I started out in my career, obviously my, my very first sort of professional job was on staff at marvel's uk office and the only things we produced uh i say the only things like it's bad we we uh, what the company did in london was to produce uh comics for uh, nursery and junior age groups so we're working on things like thomas the tank engine and mr men and uh, ghostbusters and uh thundercats and transformers and we're producing these things for the weekly for the newsstands in the uk um which meant that the the being an editor and indeed as a freelance writer on some of those things, one of the things that you needed to do very quickly was to learn how to understand a license, deconstruct it, and create stories for it that would keep the licenses happy. That is to say, you weren't going to break, literally, we weren't going to break things. You would tell a story that could be told within that and it ha- wouldn't have to go back and forth for approval. You could keep, you know. So I, I think a skill I learned very, very early on was that idea of looking at something and going, what's the interesting story that what's what can I do what's sort of what's the biggest thing I can do within the the the, the, the limits of that so that, that's why I've always been very very pleased when you know say DC comes along and say Aquaman would you like to write Aquaman I'm thinking well I know who Aquaman is I, I've read some stories I don't know what I can do but let me have a look at it and see what I think I can do within that very particular uh, space in the DC universe. What's, what's the, you know, and that is uh, that's a challenge. I I, I've, I either have always loved and I didn't know it, or I have taught myself to love and become good at. It. And I, I it, it's kind of a, it's kind of that challenge accepted moment where somebody comes along and go, well, I never thought of writing that. What can I do with that? It's, it's uh it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to do it.
3: Uh, put it on the back of your business card. Uh, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> That's been there for years. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.
0: You know, I've got all these questions. I'm curious about what it's like working for the Thomas the Tank Engine franchise. But um, (laughs) I promised you this would be a 30-minute podcast, and we are 29 minutes and 54 seconds, so we should probably wrap things up. Uh, Our guest host, Mr. Fox, did you have any final thoughts or last-minute questions Uh, for
2: Dan? I I have a model here, (laughs) Uh, and it's not very well painted. It's the second model i painted in 15 years. But that is fantastic. Eisenhorn. That is
1: Eisenhorn. Yes, I can see. I can see from here. That's uh, that's that's fantastic.
2: And I was wondering if you would be so kind as to bless, bless it with good dice rolls. <laughs>
1: uh, I, absolutely, but by the spirit invested in me, by Pontius Gloria and all the powers of chaos, I therefore uh, uh, bless it for, 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 for good playing and and and, and 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 much success in your tournaments. <laughs>
3: no
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's you, the sir. first time we've had a religious ceremony in the podcast but, uh, yeah I, yes. say I enjoyed it all right dan it's always a pleasure unfortunately i have to get back to my uh, soul-crushing day job on this laptop over here uh richard fox pleasure having you on again sir thank you so much thank you richard uh walt always a pleasure having you on to thank all you. our listeners and viewers thanks check out the banff podcast and we'll see you next time thank oh. you very much